Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval, terms apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. The following podcast contains explicit language. Working is supported by Delta Airlines, whose new Delta Studio provides all kinds of streaming entertainment in the sky, including movies and TV shows, all on your personal devices. Learn more at Delta.com. Delta, keep climbing. Hello and welcome to Working, a podcast about what people do all day. I'm David Plotz. What is your name and what do you do? Uh, my name is Paul, and I'm a waiter in an Italian restaurant in Los Angeles. And just to be clear, Paul's real name is not actually Paul, but we're calling him Paul because he has a kind of job where he could get in trouble if he uses his real name. So, Paul in quotes. How did you become a waiter? Well, uh, when I moved to L.A., I didn't really have any prospects for work, so I just figured I'd work in a restaurant. Not realizing that it's highly competitive because everyone wants to work in a restaurant because everyone's pursuing something else. Uh, so I kind of had to fabricate a lot of things on a fake resume, saying that I did it in college. Asked my friends to be references, the whole thing. Totally lied my way into this job. Had no idea what I was doing. But I, I was actually bussing tables, though. I didn't get a chance to be a waiter right away. Um, and that's pretty, that's pretty awful work. When you uh, faked your resume, did your employers go checked? Did they call people and say, like, was this guy a waiter? Was he a good waiter? That's interesting. I don't think so. I think they just, they interviewed me, and I think they slowly figured out in the course of the interview that I lied. But I think it's really, really common. So I don't think they cared. They just obviously didn't give me the job as a, as a waiter. But they're like, okay, you seem hardworking and responsible. We'll hire you. But, you know, I kind of had to prove myself i guess in the interview and then in the training process what time do you get to work at the restaurant you're working at now uh it's fairly early um anywhere between four and six uh, in the afternoon and what is the first thing you do when you get there well if i work at four o'clock uh that's considered like an opening shift the restaurant's closed you know in the sort of slow hours in the mid-afternoon it does a lunch service and then it does a dinner service so you essentially look at the amount of reservations that are in your your sort of reservation booking system for the day. And at this restaurant, it's different uh, at a lot of ones, a lot of restaurants that I've worked at. But at this one, we specifically map out where everyone's going to sit. You detail 
uh, everything on the dining floor, so you make sure there's no water spots on silverware, glasses, um, the napkins are folded correctly, put out ice buckets for wine, put out the olive oil, pepper. Are you getting paid for the this shift before the customers get in? Yeah, so you clock in the second you get there, and then, you know, I guess minimum wage is 8 bucks an hour now. So, yeah, I'm getting minimum wage. And you're getting... This is maybe getting ahead of ourselves, but you get paid minimum wage and some percentage of the tips that you make or a shared pool of tips. How does that work? So at this restaurant, it's a pooled house, which means that all the waiters work together. Everyone essentially is on a, in a big team. That has positive and positives and negatives we could talk about. So at other restaurants that I've where I've worked, if if it's not a pooled house, um, People can be incredibly selfish. And so you'll notice, actually, I I think a savvy diner could notice if they go into one of those restaurants. Because, you know, if you're sitting there and you you drop a fork on the ground and you motion to a waiter who's really hustling because they're in the weeds, which just means that you're really busy, they might be less likely to get you a new fork because they're like, this guy's not paying me. At this restaurant, everybody works together. I've never been at a place where people constantly ask, are you okay? Do you need help? Is there anything I can do for you? Which is great. But at the same time, you can end up doing a ton of work. You know, you do more work than someone else, and you all make the same amount of money. So it's into, I, restaurants are this interesting little microcosm of capitalism, I think, because you're really incentivized to work very hard for the tables that you have. But when you create a pooled house... It's a form of socialism, I guess. <laughs> I mean, that's getting dramatic, but you know what I mean. You can look at, I mean, it causes some resentments, I think, at times. But, you know, there's different resentments when you don't have a pooled house because people will get better tables. There's seniority there. There's definitely sections in restaurants um, that are better. People want to sit by the window or they want to sit not by the bathroom or, you know. So the hostess will try or the maitre d' will try and give you tables if you're in one of those bad sections, but people just won't sit there. So you'll just make less money. But yeah, so here at this restaurant, it's a pooled house. So all of the tips uh, that all the waiters bring in, let's say if there's $1,000 in tips from five waiters, half of that immediately goes into the support staff, which is composed of the back servers, which is you know, a busboy, back server, same thing, essentially. Although I guess if you're calling it a back server, they're a little more skilled. They know the menu a little better. They can sell you food. They can sell you wine, um, as opposed to just clearing off your table. Uh, the food runners, which just take the food from the kitchen. We have a scullery at this restaurant, which is someone that polishes all the silverware, polishes all the glasses. And then there's also a percentage that is just tipped out to the bar because they make your cocktails and they pour your wines by the glass. So half of it immediately is gone. So like, so in that scenario where five waiters bring in $1,000, we end up with $500. So that, that'd be $100 each. So a lot of people, you know, I think a lot of people, when they think about tipping, they say, wow, 20%. 20% on $100, that's amazing. Uh, that's 20 bucks. This guy just made 20 bucks, but he didn't. He made, he made $10 and then he's getting taxed on that $10. What do you do as customers start to come in? Being a waiter in California, you can't work six hours unless you take a break for 30 minutes. So it's pretty hilarious. You'll come into the restaurant, you'll work for a half hour, you'll take a 30-minute break where you eat. Because <laughs> they make, you know, they'll make you food, um, which is always like the scraps of stuff they're not going to serve everybody it's always really really awful so we all sit down we all eat like we just work this big shift you know we all work for 30 minutes and then we have what's called a pre-shift meeting 
So the chef will come out. He'll talk about the specials that are being offered. He'll talk about anything that's different on the menu that day, anything that's been changed. He'll talk about, you know, we only have six salmon left, so try not to push that, you know, things like that. We'll go over the the reservation list, who's coming in, important people, friends of the restaurant, you know, VIP customers, investors, friends of the chef, and then we'll talk about the wine. Just because wine is so hard to keep in in stock, you know, you run out of a lot of a lot of bottles, so you just want to know, like, don't don't try and sell this bottle when you go to the table. Um, and that's typically about you know ten fifteen minutes after your half hour break, and then people just slowly start start coming in. They break the floor into sections, like I said, even though it's all pooled, you still want to you know know that you have these specific tables to worry about. And then yeah, it's typically slowish in the beginning because we open at five. A lot of people don't go to dinner at five. Although, like I said, it's a pretty f- fairly early dining restaurant. Um, the kitchen closes at 10. It's just about five hours of, of service. And if you've seen, I don't know if you've seen the movie Waiting. Um, well, uh, probably people listening have seen the movie Waiting. It's pretty hilarious. They're like psyching themselves up to just, for basically just craziness for the next three hours, you know. And a lot of, a lot of nights that's how it is. You're just like, ah, I can't think, you know, because it's, this is a nice, it's an upscale restaurant, but it's also really high volume. So you're trying to sort of maintain your steps of service, which just means vaguely like you want to greet the table, tell them about the specials, obviously hand them the menus, take a liquor order, see if they have any questions. You know, there's minutes in between all this stuff, but um, you want to touch the table as many times as you can, essentially. And that's just hard when you're dealing with a lot of people. Does the chef or your manager or your whoever your boss is tell you this is a thing that's really profitable for us. Let's try to sell that. Is there that calculation or is it, is it not that specific? I've always wondered like the profit margin on some food items is not very high, but they're really popular. And so the the chef like wants the, he wants the people to enjoy the food more than he wants to make money. But we do, we do definitely do that on, on wine. If you get a good deal on wine, and you're saying, you know, a glass of this will pay for the entire bottle that we have. So the other three glasses in the bottle is all profit. The sommelier will definitely mention that, saying, you know, this is great for us. You should try and sell this. It's a good wine. People will like it, and we make good money on it. But typically, no, there's not really a, a talk about... There's no breakdown. I've never had any breakdown of, like, we make more money on this. We make less money on this. Um, but, yeah, I've, I've wondered that. I've wondered... Like we'll do we'll do black and white truffles when they're in season. I don't think we make money on the truffles really, but it's a, it's a luxury item and people want to go to a restaurant that offers that. And hopefully, if they're going to buy white truffles for one hundred and five dollars for a pasta, they're going to also be buying expensive wine and things like that. You know, who is your boss? Ultimately, the general manager of the restaurant. Well, ultimately the owner of the restaurant, but he doesn't really do anything. He just kind of comes in and shakes some hands. And I mean, he doesn't make the food, you know, <clears throat> which is very funny because the most popular dishes on the restaurant in the restaurant weren't even like created by him. Um, but, you know, people want to see him. They want to talk to him. They're like, oh, this, this is so good. And he's always wearing his chef, whatever the chef shirt is, uh, you know, slapping him on the back. Glad you like it. You know, and it's, I've always find that funny cause he didn't make it, but you know, obviously he taught everyone the recipes and does, does some sort of quality control. So maybe that's not fair, but generally it's, it's my general manager, but he's the general manager is busy sort of 
you know, just keeping the restaurant running. Like a lot of times he'll just be in the office, like ordering things, doing payroll, doing whatever it is that he does. That's what's nice about being a waiter. You have a lot of freedom. Within reason, you can do things mostly your own way. Who are you talking to most of your colleagues? You're talking to other waiters, you're talking to the back servers, and what's the kind of relationship you have with them? Um, so the back servers are, are great. They're really, really nice guys, really supportive. I mean, they're just to interrupt. Are they all, uh, immigrants? They're all Latino. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just totally blown away by these guys because they have like three jobs working in a restaurant is really physically difficult. And these guys will work all morning at a lunch place and then they'll come and they'll work all night and they all are like, have families and, and you know, but, uh, so yeah, certainly I talked to them. But that's more like, hey, can you get me this on this table? Can you make me these cappuccinos? Can you do these, you know, we need more bread, whatever it is. The interactions between the waiters are, are pretty hilarious because it's typically just complaining about people that you're waiting on. You know, how stupid they are. Just basically, like, everyone has, like, a great story every 20 minutes of, like, man, you will not believe what this guy just did. And then everyone's just, like, you know, in on it together. Just... I, it's it's funny after you after you're a waiter you're, you're on your best behavior when you go into restaurants because you know that everyone regardless is just talking shit about you can you think i, mean, I don't know if you can call summon to mind a couple of great examples of things that you dealt with or that one of your colleagues dealt with recently sure so in general what bothers me a lot is just stupidity i know that people like for a living, I'm supposed to know what's in all these uh, in all these dishes. I'm supposed to know about wine and all these things. So I forgive people that don't understand. But like, what really bothers me is when someone will be at a table. I'll walk up and I'll be like, "Hey, everybody!" And no one will no one will look up. And then someone will say, "Hey, Tom, what's a Branzini?" And I'm thinking to myself, "Well, that's pronounced Branzino." Um, and he goes, "Oh, no, no, I think it's a uh, it's a fish. What is that?" And I'm, I'm standing right there, and I could say, hey, guys, that's a Mediterranean sea bass, flaky white fish. It's really delicious. And they're like, I don't know. What is that? Pull out your phone, Google it. And, you know, and I guess I'm putting on that accent. But <laughs> it's, it's hilarious to me. You know, it's completely hilarious. And so it's more like that feels rude, you know. So I'll complain about that all the time. Like everyone is complaining and making fun of everyone all of the time. What are interactions with customers that are pleasant or delightful for you or are there are there no such interactions is the work always work i don't like small talk really i find it a little awkward i think there are some people that there are some people that'll go to a restaurant because they want to like talk to the waiter and if they're pleasant that's great but a lot of people kind of think it's time to like joke around and I always just think to myself, I'm not here to be your friend, pal. You know, if it again, like it's I just think if it's slow, whatever, I'll sit and talk to you all you want. I'll talk about the food. I'll talk about the surrounding areas you want to go check out. Totally. Like, I'm not a grump. But when it's busy, you need to know that I have a job to do. Like a class, a classic thing that I will always hear is, hey, guys, welcome to the restaurant. Just want you, want you to know we're out of our tuna tonight. Oh, great. That's what I came in for. We're out of here. Yuck, yuck, yuck. And everyone looks around, and I always want to say, I've heard that 30 times tonight. I've literally heard that 30 times. Just shut up. You know, you did not come here for the tuna. And actually, one time, one guy did actually come for this dish, and I was like, yep, sorry. Like, sort of being like, yeah, I got the joke. You're really funny. And he's like, no, seri no seriously, I really came for that. I was like, oh, man. 
<laughs> I'm sorry, everyone before you is such a jerk. It's ruined that experience for you. But no, I mean, it, people p- can be nice. But in general, I just kind of want to get you your stuff, and I just want to move on. Do you think that is true of all waiters, or do you think that this is your personality? I think there's probably a pretty good split. I know uh, it's an Italian restaurant, like I said, and we have a guy from Italy who is kind of like an awful waiter. Like, other than his table-side manner, if that's a phrase, he's super friendly, he's really fun, he sort of puts on this big accent, everybody loves him, but he can't remember an order to save his life. Like, he's just, you know, he doesn't, he's really slow. So I think, you know, I wouldn't want to go out to eat and have him wait on me because I want what I want to order and I want it on time, you know? But I think it's, I think it's a split. I mean, I, I, I'll be the first one to admit I kind of have an attitude problem about it, you know? And certain days are different. Like, I'll be in a really good mood some days if I have a lot of caffeine. Other days, I won't want to be there. That's generally what's just hard dealing with people because if you work in a cubicle by yourself, you can just kind of be in, a, be in a grumpy mood, you know? But people are there. They want to spend money, and they're like, maybe that's their special night out, and you kind of have to decide to be in a good mood and give them a nice experience even if you don't want to. And you do it every day, so it's not special to you. So you kind of have to maintain that perspective, I guess. Are you or your colleagues high, stoned, snorting coke most of the time? Or is, th- is that just overtold? I worked at a really trendy restaurant in Hollywood. And I was completely shocked. I've never done cocaine. But so many people were on cocaine. And I, you know, I'll go every shift. I'll drink coffee or I'll drink espresso because it just helps. It puts you in a better mood and it gives you a lot of energy and you're moving around so much. So I guess I could understand from what I understand about cocaine that that's really helpful. But the other thing is at this restaurant, one of the busboys only had this job as sort of a cover, but he essentially had like cocaine coming from South America and he would go up to the people that would buy it from him. And he was brilliant. He would just be like, hey man, here's a little bit for the night, just for free. And then once... Once you're high, you want more. And so I would see these guys, like, spend all of their money, the entire, you know. They'd come with $150 in cash or whatever from the night before. It would all be gone, and then they'd spend everything they made that night. Um, But people are very drunk in restaurants. Very drunk. We used to start at that restaurant. I mean, I was was younger. I was in my, you know, mid-ish, early 20s. We would start the shift with, like, two shots of tequila, on like a Saturday night or something, or people, or like bartenders. Bartenders are probably, if you're not at a nice place, bartenders are probably pretty drunk, mostly. The sommelier will try wine all night where I work now, and he'll, he'll definitely be drunk by the end of the night. Does being drunk help you do the job? It doesn't help you do the job. There's such a, a high level of multitasking. Uh, well, not multitasking. You're just juggling a lot of things in your brain. So when I worked at that restaurant, I would probably be a little tipsy every Friday and Saturday that I worked there. I was so much friendlier. Everybody was like, you're the greatest. And it was that kind of restaurant, you know, it was that it, where you wanted to go for sort of the experience. Um, and so everybody would, would be a little tipsy. Otherwise, you're like, hey, guys, what's going on? As opposed to, hey, guys, welcome. What's going on? You guys want some drinks? You know. But they, my, where I work now is a lot more serious. Um, never been, I've never been drunk there. And I would, I would not want to. It's totally a different vibe. But you'll know if you go into sort of one of those more fun. Like, I could imagine at, if I was a girl that worked at Hooters, 
I'd probably have to be drunk the entire time because how miserable would that be? You're, you're a handsome young man, and I presume it's, this is Los Angeles, that all the waiters are good-looking people. Are people getting hit on all the time? Again, I feel like I've sort of gotten to a restaurant now where that's not very common at all. It probably is of some of the girls that work there, but in restaurants past, yeah, totally. People are hit on all the time. The girls are hit on a lot. You know, the extent of it is maybe someone will leave a number on the check or something, or, or they'll just kind of, you know, they'll kind of flirt with you. But I, I mean, I've seen, I worked with this guy who would lift his shirt up and like flex his abs so that like, cause you know, like a big group of girls would come in or something and they'd all be drunk and they'd think he was cute. So he'd be like, you know, he'd be waiting on like eight girls or something and they'd all be drunk and they'd think he's good looking. He'd be like, Hey Paul, come over here. Let's like flex our abs. And I just thought it was the douchiest thing on the planet. I'd be like, Nope, you, you have fun. You, you know, what's the mental work of being a waiter? Well, certainly, uh, there's a lot of just memorization you have to know. Uh, you have to know every item in the food. Anything that's a potential allergy, you know, a lot of a lot of menus they just don't put that there's something fried in peanut oil. I mean, that's a bad example. You probably would now, but there are things that people are allergic to that's just not literally written on the menu. You just need to know all all the all of the items. Um, you know, what can be substituted for what? Descriptions of wine, descriptions of the cocktails, the beer, all that stuff. Just generally, um, you know, if someone says, "Hey, can I get some butter?" You say, absolutely. Be right back with that. You're going to go to another table first. You're not going to run back to the kitchen, get the butter, and come back. So you'll be asked four or five different things that you're not literally writing down that you just need to keep in your head. And then you have to prioritize those things. Because if someone someone asks for butter, someone needs more bread, and then someone's steak is undercooked or overcooked, the steak is the most important thing. So you have to go to the kitchen immediately and say, you guys, the steak's cooked wrong. Talk to them for five minutes about how to solve it or however long, and then say, oh, I need that bread, I need that butter. That guy's iced tea was was low, which I noticed as I walked by. That person needs more wine. This guy needs a beer over here, and I think I need to get the, these people to check. You know, So you're just sort of like looking at all the things that need to be done, thinking four or five steps ahead. Is that flow? Is that artistic at this point, or is it an analytical process in your head? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I think that I think that it is flow, and it's actually the the best part of the job for me is when I'm a little more busy than is comfortable. I can find myself really enjoying it, and I think that's actually when I'm in the best mood. When it's slow, I do find that I can be a little grumpy, and it'll take someone to kind of get me out of that. Like a table that's like so excited to be there, I'll be like, "Oh yeah, okay, yeah, this is a nice place. I'm happy for you guys. Can I talk to you about the food?" There's just a there's like a bandwidth where that's true, but when you when you go beyond it, I can find myself to be pretty annoyed. Do you work at a restaurant where you where the waiter writes down the orders, or do you have to remember the orders? I write down the orders. I guess I sort of came up with just a system for myself that I've always repeated everywhere I've gone of how to write things down. So I would just pretty much, well, in this restaurant, you take seat numbers. That just means, yeah, around the table, uh, it goes um, clockwise. Just one, two, three, four, is, you know, to whenever. So I just typically write those numbers first because a lot of people won't order in order. So a lot of people will just write things down and then forget, especially if you have 20 people that you're taking an order, you really need to write all that down. And then um, in terms of courses, um, but the thing, that I, the thing that I think I do that a lot of people don't do is if you order this item, I will only write it a specific way that is visually very different than other items. 
So like if you are ordering chicken, let's just say that I'll write CHX. I guess if you're ordering chicken wings, maybe I'd write CW. Nothing would look, CHX does not look like CW. So I kind of create my own shorthand because a lot of times people are talking very fast. They're ordering very quickly. And so you just have to write, you know, you're not literally writing pan fried, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, so anyway, I actually made a bet once with one of the guys in the kitchen at this restaurant I worked. I said, I'll bet you a hundred dollars. I don't make a single mistake this month. And he was like, Oh, you're on. And I won. I won the bet. I didn't make a single mistake. And that was a really, really busy restaurant. Um, but I think I've, I take on a lot of volume everywhere I've worked because I don't make a lot of mistakes, but I think it's just because I came up with a system for myself that makes sense, you know? Going back to your system, so so it's clockwise. You were about to say how you do different courses. Oh, yeah. Sorry. So uh, so different courses, just let's say you're going to order a mixed green salad. I would write that and just make a very clear delineation between that and the next course. But a lot of people will say like, oh, I just, I think this is what I want to start with. I don't know my entree yet. So I will actually not, I'll come back to you um, because I want to keep it really organized for myself visually when I get back to the computer. Ringing something into a computer is fairly time consuming. Someone, someone could make a lot of money creating a very intuitive, user-friendly computer system in a restaurant because they're just, in my experience, there just aren't a lot of them. So, you know, you're going to take 10 minutes to put in an order for like a large party and that's 10 minutes that you're not helping everyone else. So a lot of people, I think, I mean, stress is a strong word. It's not like I'm hanging, you know, telephone poles uh, 50 feet up or something, right? <laughs> but you know what I mean? There's a level of stress there that I think can become distracting. Um, and I've just done it long enough to just try and block that out and focus on it and not care if it takes too long. Because also you can, you can look at what you wrote. It's never legible. It's never clear. At least, you know, a lot of ways that I see people write down their orders and they'll, they'll, they'll screw it up and they'll ring in the wrong thing. You've never worked at a restaurant where the waiters were required to do it mentally. I never have. I don't understand why you would ever want your waiters to do that. It doesn't make any sense to me. I worked with people that try and do that, but they'll make mistakes all the time. The Working Podcast is brought to you by Delta Airlines, whose new Delta Studio provides more streaming entertainment in the sky. Movies, shows, TV, all on your personal devices. Additionally, Delta's long-haul fleet not only has more flatbed seats, but more flatbed seats available with direct aisle access. Learn more at Delta.com. Delta, keep climbing. And now back to my interview. What are the physical demands on you? What are the things, first physically, that you had to learn, and then what demands does it put on your body? What parts of your body are strained? Where do you, where do you hurt at the end of the day? Carrying things on trays... Actually, there's a pretty steep learning curve. Like, I dropped so much stuff when I started working in a restaurant. I've become pretty good at, the, at it, though. I can, like, it's just, obviously, you're just dealing with, like, weight distribution. Now, that feels kind of second nature to where you're coming around a corner. You slightly move your hand, tilt the tray to account for the fact that the momentum's going to push it in one direction. So you can kind of walk very quickly through a restaurant moving your hand and the tray. Uh, so I definitely had to learn that. But... I work now on, like, marble floors, which I find exhausting. I would love to know how much I walk in a given shift. I mean, it's far, and it's a hustle, you know, so it is, it is exhausting. I mean, like, 
and it's hot here too and there's outdoor seating is difficult because you're just sweating so much like last night i got to work and i was dripping sweating like the first five minutes where people were looking at me like is this guy okay can we get this guy a glass of water but um my back hurts a lot i have like i mean i've complained about it to everyone that will listen that you know i I really want to get off my feet it's i find it i find it hard and i i think also though i mean i maybe it's a circulation issue but i've always kind of had very sore feet but at the end of the shift i just like my feet really hurt my low back hurts a lot um but i'll just sort of know i'll notice it more and more though as i get a little older have you worked on other kinds of floors than marble floors yeah i worked in this restaurant that was on the second story and it had carpet floors and that was awesome and we would all be like so thankful that it was carpet but it was a nightmare to clean and so i understand why people don't do that but yeah like if you work behind a bar there's a lot of mats so it's a lot softer which is nice what kind of shoes do you wear i wear uh i had some sort of expensive orthopedic shoes where i like went to the store and they like calculated how i stood and did this whole thing and i i I don't know i don't know if it helped to be honest so i now i just went back to like generic all black kind of cross trainers but that are certainly comfortable i think they're like nikes or something what's your uniform and do you have to buy it and take care of it or is there at the restaurant when you get there where i work now we wear um an apron which i think is like 15 dollars. a really stupid shirt that you can't find anywhere it's like custom long sleeve shirt button up that maybe was like 20 and then we wear a vest which is like 60 and if you like ruin your uniform you have to buy another one uh and then all black pants and all black shoes which you have to buy yourself i basically just hang my work shirt and my vest in my car all the time i I wash i wash my uh, i wear an undershirt just like a white shirt and the black pants and i wash those as much as i can i don't probably wash my work shirt as much as i should which I'll notice reaching over the table, I'll be like, whew, this is getting ripe, <laughs> these poor people. <laughs> you know, I wear it every night, and I'm not doing laundry every day, so sorry. But I don't also want to pay money to get a bunch in rotation. Do your bosses generally treat you well? Do they know who you are? Do they care about your life, or are you a piece of meat? Uh, where I work now, I think I work with some of the friendliest people that I've ever worked with. I've worked in restaurants where chefs in restaurants have massive egos. Like if you watch Gordon Ramsay, that's not actually unrealistic of what chefs will do in restaurants. I've worked with a, I've worked with a guy who would put someone in tears like every night. They know the food so well, top to bottom, especially if they're creating the dishes. Um, and a lot of, a lot of places where you work, you'll never try the food. You literally have no idea what anything tastes like, but you're expected to sell it and talk about it knowledgeably. So I get it. But I don't think I've ever been talked to by people I work for with so much disrespect than, than anywhere anywhere else in, in regular life. I mean, the owner, I, I, worked, I worked for this restaurant company, this restaurant group here in Los Angeles. They didn't care too much about the people that they, they hired, but we all made good money at the restaurants and so people would put up with it. But... I mean, those are probably some of the worst people I've ever met in my life. I remember walking, uh, the opening of this restaurant, you know, these guys will bring all their sort of like D-list celebrity friends and all their sort of people they're trying to impress in what's called like a soft opening where it's just friends and family of the restaurant. Generally, no one has been working at the restaurant very long because it's the restaurant's opening. So you don't have a lot of autonomy yet. You're just being told what to do by the people in charge. So my manager gave me a dessert 
it was basically we were we were sort of doing doing the friends and family dinner like you would a wedding where everyone just sort of brings out the courses we would clear it we'd bring out the next we'd clear it bring out the next and my manager at the time thought it would be a really good idea to take the first dessert to the owner of the restaurant and he was sitting in this booth with like what must have been like 17 year old girls like they were impossibly young and he's sitting there like you know like Mr. Big Guy right and so I'm like okay I'll bring you to the dessert you know just real happy to have this new job and he goes we still have fucking food on the table what the fuck are you doing get it the fuck out of here but like the level of it and then he and then he literally looked at the the girls next to him and went <laughs> like see how I talked to that guy wasn't that awesome I went back into the kitchen and was like I don't I can't I can't work here because you see you see red in a way where you're like I don't deserve that that said i ended up working there for like four years <laughs> how long is the shift and, and how much do you end up making um typical shift is going to be like four to six hours it just totally the hours doesn't matter because like i said you're going to be paid eight bucks an hour for four to six hours so that's a difference of 16 dollars um but where i work now averages the tips that we make is can be anywhere from like 270 at the at sort of the top end we kind of top out there to about like 150 the benefits of working in a pooled house is it's very stable like i said earlier we all share tips so you kind of it kind of lifts all boats i guess you'd say to the same level no one really has a bad night but you don't ever have like great big nights which is something that used to happen not to everyone but you know someone will come in and order a huge bottle of wine and they'll just really have a great time and they'll tip you a lot of money. And then that person will walk home with $600. Um, so that, that doesn't happen where I work anymore, but yeah. So you make 200 to a bit more than 300 for a shift? Yeah, I mean, again, like getting above 220 is pretty rare. It's generally it's generally between like 170 and 220 and then yeah you're what 40 or 50 bucks in hourly. You only do this several nights. You don't do this every night. Yeah, so I'll work like 3 to 5. But in a 2 week pay period, I generally have 8 to 9 shifts on the pay period on the paycheck. Um so that's typically about like $1400, 14 or $1500. So you're making 40 or 50 grand a year yeah do you ever get health insurance from a restaurant or or any benefits i've never had benefits um there are certain places it's really funny the way it works like we can't we sort of get locked out at a certain number of hours a week typically that's about the number of hours a week you need to qualify for benefits so people in the kitchen will but i mean these poor people in the kitchen make no money i mean they make such little money it's only hourly. It's very rare that the kitchen ever sees any of the like the tips from a restaurant. Um, so I think they get benefits. But again, like it's not a lot of times it's not very friendly between what's called the front of the house and the back of the house because of that reason. Because when it's busy, the front of the house makes more money. When it's busy, the back of the house just gets slammed and makes the same amount of money. And I think there's a little bit of animosity, especially where I work now. Um, but I've heard of that also. I mean, I, obviously living in LA, I have a ton of friends that work in restaurants, um, and they've echo, echoed that also in a lot of the places they've worked. How does the animosity manifest itself where you work now? 
Well, it's very funny. Um, so you have, you know, when you work in a kitchen, there's different stations. So you have whoever makes salads, makes, makes only salads that night. Uh, so here, obviously, it's an Italian restaurant. Great pasta. I don't know what people that work in a kitchen really think the power of a waiter is, but if you come in and you want pasta, you're getting pasta. Like, I'm not going to tell you to get a steak. I'm not going to tell you to get... Like, typically, don't you sit around and you go, what do you want to have for dinner tonight, honey? I feel like pasta. Let's go to a good pasta place. I'm not going to talk you into getting tuna fish. I don't think the pasta guy likes me very much. I think he's that type of person anyway to, like, generally not be very friendly, but I had a table of, like, 12 people. Every single person ordered pasta. And I walked back into the kitchen to get something. And he was like, 12 pasta orders? Fuck you, dude. And I was like, all right. That's one thing if we're friends and you're sort of like giving me a hard time. But I think that was the first time he ever spoke to me. I was like, all right, man. I think we're all on the same team, but cool. (laughs) If food gets sent back, do you guys get to eat it? Sometimes. Typically, no. they don't want people eating food during the shift. I think that's a health code violation. I've seen people box it up before. Uh, A lot of times... I mean, there's a fine line, I think, between what's legal and what's maybe beneficial. Like, if something gets sent back, literally not touched, sometimes they'll say, hey, you guys should try this dish. You're never going get, to get a chance to try this. There's also, like, in the dish pit, which is where you take all the dirty dishes, people just eat the food. They just eat it. There's, there's things that'll be eat, eaten family style where, like, no one's fork that touched their mouth touched the food, and people will just woof that down and then there's always the random guy does that make sense so like if i put in the center of the table let's just say egg rolls you're gonna touch your egg roll you're not gonna touch all the egg rolls so if there's like two egg rolls someone's gonna eat those egg rolls pretty much guaranteed someone will eat those egg rolls it's kind of gross when you see someone just eating like leftover pasta (laughs) but you know if you're around food and you're really hungry i mean that's a pretty miserable situation to be in like i've not eaten enough before and just gotten really hungry and you're just dealing with all this food, you know, which is, it can be kind of painful, (laughs) you know. If you get sick, are you strongly discouraged from working? Not at all. I have really bad allergies. I've, I've been allergic, I think, to places where I've worked, where I'll go in, I worked at a brewery, and I think whenever they would brew the beer, I would just totally, I'd be sneezing. And everyone's just like, oh, man, make sure you wash your hands a lot. I'm like, I, yeah, I'm trying, <laughs> you know. But no, I mean, I think the real problem, I mean, there's, a, there's an interesting gamble, I think, when you're a manager of a restaurant where you're trying to have the least amount of staff that can do the maximum amount of work. So you're generally never overstaffed in a restaurant. They're trying to walk that line between where we can give good service but also save money on labor. So if you call up sick a lot of times... They're like, I need, you, I need you to work. If you call up early enough in the day, if you have to work at like 6 o'clock, you call up early enough, they'll try and call other people to, to come in for you. But sometimes it's just, sorry, it's really busy tonight. We need you to come in. At the end of your shift, are you so hyped that you have to go do something else? Or are you able to just go home and chill? I think it's really hard to go to sleep. I mean, so many people will go out and get drinks afterwards. I've kind of never really done that very often. Um, I mean, the, the reason to be a waiter is so that you can be productive during your day and maximize your time, um, your free time. So I, I would tend not to do that, but I do find it really hard to fall asleep. Like last night, I probably got home at like 11.30. I tried to go to bed at 12.30 and it was really difficult. Have you saved any money? No. 
No, it's really sad. I mean, I can't go to my friend's weddings. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if it sounds like it's a lot of money. 260 bucks a night sounds like it's a lot of money. Maybe it isn't, but it certainly isn't when I'm getting a $1,400 paycheck. So you're in your early 30s now. I take it you don't see yourself doing this job in your 60s. Yeah, I mean, I think I never, I never saw myself doing it at 32. I definitely, I don't think I could do it at 60. I don't think I can do it at 40. It's interesting when you work in a restaurant, there's such a goal to get out of a restaurant. If you were asked by, um, you know, a friend of your mom's, what do you do? Would you say I'm a waiter or would you say I'm in the, you know, because you also are in the film industry too, but would you, how would you answer that question? Well, it's interesting. When I, when I told, I remember I had a lot of shame about deciding to become, try to become an actor and join the film industry. Um, not really acknowledging that I was passionate about it. But I remember one of my best friend's moms, uh, when I was like 23, I came back for like Thanksgiving. She's like, what are you up to? And I was like, well, you know, I ended up being a theater major. I moved to LA. I'm going to try to be an actor. And she straight up said to me, that's so sad. You had so much potential. Let's say your, your work in the entertainment industry doesn't go great. How do you think you, you stop being a waiter? What do you think? What's your move to stop being a waiter? Uh, it's, um, it kind of freaks me out a little bit, to be honest with you, because I look back at like the 20-year-old that thought this was a great idea, and I think, well, it still might be, but I could have done a lot of things. At 32, I would have had 10 years' experience doing something. So like working in a restaurant for 10 years, I'm just really good at it. You, everyone would be, Right. So it's interesting to think there's an there's a weird problem of being like, am I stuck in this at 32? Am I stuck here? There's a time at which I guess everyone has like the breaking point of I'm not going to do this any longer. And I think mine actually, even though I just said I'd stop at 40, I don't think that's true, you know? So I just wonder like, I just look at the future and I go, well, what? That's weird, man. What's it going to be? You know, am I going to be, I'm going to be working at restaurants like off and on forever? possible. Thanks for listening to this episode of Working. On the next show, I'm going to talk to Jessica Drake, who's one of the leading porn stars in the world, and she just loves, loves, loves her job. She really loves her job as a porn star. I'm going to talk to her about that. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 